Hello, and welcome to Ultimate Medical's podcast, Positioning 365 Beyond Seating. My name is Marianne Girardi. I'm a physical therapist and a resident certified assistive technology practitioner. And I'm the clinical education specialist here at Ultimate Medical. On today's podcast, we're going to be discussing supported standing in the schools. My co-host today is Doug Levine. Doug is a physical therapist and a member of our clinical advisory board. Doug has been a physical therapist since 1997 and has primarily focused on pediatrics. Since starting Growing Places Therapy in 2006, he and his company have served over 600 children and their families, providing pediatric, physical, occupational, and speech therapies in the home, school, and daycare settings. He has provided education and trainings with Cure Duchenne in the area of Duchenne's muscular dystrophy for therapists and families here in the U.S. and internationally since 2016. Our guests today are Stephanie Springfield, occupational therapist, and Christine Linklater, speech and language pathologist. Stephanie has been an occupational therapist for 22 years and recently completed her doctorate in occupational therapy. She's worked in a variety of settings with a focus on pediatrics. For 16 plus years, she has worked full-time in the Belton Independent School District in Texas and part-time in an additional school district. She is the mother of three and the grandmother of two. Her middle child, Noah, was born with Down syndrome, which gives her a unique perspective when providing for children with special needs. Her family's the most fulfilling thing in her life, and behind that is her career and practice as an OT. And Christine Linklater is a speech and language pathologist. She has worked in public schools for 22 years and has also has a private practice. She is an, also the adjunct clinical supervisor for Baylor University and provides clinical supervision for graduate students through Texas Women's University. Thank you all for being here. I'm very excited about talking about standard use in the school system. I know sometimes it can be a hot topic, but it's a reality of what some of the students need. I think my first question to all of you, are you utilizing standards in school for some of the children you work with? Yeah, Marianne, let me let me go ahead and, and take that first. Um, as physical therapists working in the, the school district, I think typically it's thought of that the the PTs are utilizing the standards the most, and there's there's probably some some truth to that. And it really it depends on the child whether it's appropriate. So we're trying to utilize those those standards to achieve certain academic goals for them or goals in the school setting. So if it makes sense for that child, then absolutely, um, that's something that we will utilize often. I would add as the OT, I would agree with you, Doug. I tend to let you sort of take the lead on that, but I know we always work together on using how we're going to utilize it. And if Doug has recommended something like this, you know, I might have time, like if he's making a recommendation on usage and time, we might talk about when the best time is, you know, is it more beneficial during you know, certain OT tasks or not? And so we usually work together on those things, but I don't I'm not the the recommendation doesn't usually come from me. It's usually something PT has recommended, and then I think of it and use it within my OT world as well. I would agree with that. I you know having having worked um, alongside the PTs and the OTs when we do have children who are using a standard uh, standards, then we we definitely like Stephanie said find out when is the best time to incorporate that into their speech therapy. 
if it needs to be incorporated, like for OT, Definitely. like, is it yeah. better they be in the standard and do some of these tasks? Or sometimes is it better if they're not in the standard doing some of the tasks like feeding or tabletop tasks, things like that? Yes, I agree. So when you're working in the schools, what are your goals for standard use? I'm sure there's many. Kind of piggyback on the on the last point the the goals there needs to be a reason attached to using the standard so i think we need to get away from um in general using pieces of equipment just because that's what we've always done and so what are we trying to accomplish by using the standard whether it's a quote unquote pt related goal or ot related goal or speech related goal what is what is the reason that we're using that? We want we want to put some thought into that so that not every kid, l let's just use a diagnosis as an example, not every kid with CP gets the use of a standard because maybe it's not uh, appropriate or there's not a goal attached to it, but we want to think about what are we trying to accomplish for this child first? And I think that kind of guides whether or not we're using a standard, but also how often we're using a standard. And can I add to that? I, this really, when I was sort of prepping for this, I was thinking the first thing that came to mind is like, it's never about the equipment or the modalities or we, we, my practice over the 20, the 16 years has really shifted to a top-down approach. So it's always about what do we need to, what the function, what is it that we are trying to accomplish? What is it they need? Where's the participation? We have to bridge that gap to participation in the school and what they need to do in school. And so it's, it's usually more about what is it they can't do that we really want them to participate in and is a standard or any equipment going to help with that in some way. So the goal is always about needs to participate in PE better or be able to participate in like throwing the ball or whatever they do in PE or needs to produce written work or feed themselves. And maybe the standard helps with that. Maybe it doesn't. So more of a top-down function of, of the goals are typically written that way with that in mind. Yeah. And, and, and Stephanie, I think that's why it's also these these IEP meetings here in Texas, we call them ARD meetings, these, these yearly meetings where we discuss the progress of the child, you know, you, you come up with goals. I think that's where the communication with the parent is so important because what are their goals for their child? Mm -hmm. or, sure. or, or with the student themselves, you know, what are your goals? And trying to see if- And the teachers, don't forget the teachers, what they need absolutely. to Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So how does this a standard fit into that? Because maybe there maybe the goals are don't have anything to do with, you know, something that a standard can help with. For sure. I definitely think, you know, as far as communication goes, you know, you know, communication just happens all over the place, regardless of if you're standing, if you're sitting or or what. And so so I think as far as incorporating goals, like D Doug and Stephanie said, um, you know, it really does does depend on what the student needs and what the goals for the student are, you know, how how we would incorporate those communication goals into that. Can you give us some examples of goals that a standard could be included in or part of the modalities? I would say the first thing that comes to mind for me is um, some, like tabletop upper extremity motor tasks. So 
it, gosh, it, and it, it depends so much on the level of the kid. Again, what the expectation is. Um, we had a, I feel like one of our, our better stories was a, a very recent, last year we had a student, um, pretty severe and profound, but she um, would easily fall asleep. Like she, her level of alertness would go down when she was sitting in her chair, she would get really in her wheelchair, she would get really comfortable. As soon as we put her in the standard, she'd come alive, but it also allowed her to access her upper extremities better. So we would hang things from the ceiling. So motorically she could like swipe at the, um, she wasn't at a level of coloring and things like that, but she, we wanted to engage her in, in upper extremity tasks. So like she liked really shiny balls and things like that. And she would be so much more engaging when she was in the stander. So it sometimes frees up and engages the trunk and the shoulders a lot better when they're in the stander. So any sort of tabletop task, or maybe it's just a cause and effect hitting a switch or things like that is helpful, but also feeding too. Sometimes it can be useful. Again, it depends on the level, the, the amount of trunk control they have in the stander, or if it's much more passive, but either way it provides stability. And, and, and we know with with um, stability in the trunk and, and proximally, you have a lot more distal control. So she can use, students can use their arms sometimes a little better, whether it's passive or more active. I think the standard sort of um, enhances that and, and facilitates that. Stephanie, I think that's a fantastic example. I, I'm also, I, I'm thinking about a different child that I worked with that had a, a lot of involvement in terms of motorically and, um, and and there was there was finally I mean it was was able to do a lot of of sitting and crawling, um, but wasn't at the point where they were showing really much interest in standing or getting upright. And it finally I mean after a year or two of, of that, when I think they were somewhere around seven or eight, they started showing more interest in being upright. And I know that one of the parents' goals was for them to use a gait trainer. And we tried it and it did not go well. I think there was just, you know, it was it was too new. It was just too much motorically going on at that point, transitioning from a lot of sitting and crawling to using a gait trainer. And it was just, it seemed like it was just too difficult for that child. And so in that case, we used the stander almost as like an intermediary tool. And we we used that standard so that we were gradually able to increase the time that they were weight bearing in a standing position. They were more upright. Um, I think vestibular vestibularly they were able to get adjusted to seeing things in their environment from a vertical position. And then we were eventually able over time to transition to a gait trainer so they could move more independently. But having that standard, using that standard for that period of time, which ended up being about six months or a year, um, we were able to build up to that point where we had more success with the gate trainer. But you asked about goals. So, Doug, I don't know what the goal would be for that, but I would say like the goal, this particular student I was talking about just struggled with engaging in anything, be it visually, motorically. So it would probably be a goal related to will engage with presented tasks, school tasks. And so be, the goal would be more about engaging in her environment in some way, but it might be a specific task like a cause effects switch in order to increase communication with a communication device or 
it, it would be more about that versus the actual standing. No, 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 right. In this case, the goal was to use a gate trainer to get from, I don't remember what it was, but it was to get from point A to point B, either independently or or minimal amount of assistance. And so the goal was using that gate trainer to get from point A to point B, but it was using the stander to help achieve that goal, to, to get to okay. that point. Yeah, get that. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. So really to piggyback off of, of all of that discussion, I would say as far as speech and language goes, we would just say, you know, to to um, increase participation in classroom activities and discussions, whether it be through alternative and augmentative communication for our limited verbal kids, if they have the increased motor control to, to reach for and access those types of communication, or if it's through increased phonation or volume for those kids who are more verbal. So really for a speech and language goal, it would just be to increase that participation because that's, I mean, kids are in school to learn. And in, in order to do that, part of that is just engaging in those learning discussions and activities with their peers and teachers. Stephanie, you mentioned that there was increased arousal alertness. I know the research is still out on that, but could you give us some your thoughts and everybody, your thoughts on what standing does for the level of engagement, arousal, participation? Um, goodness, you know, I I have to think anecdotally for myself, like someone who can get up and change positions regularly. I know when I'm sitting at a, an all day seminar, that gets tough. Like I lose interest, my body sinks into the chair and I may sit on my foot, but standing and changing positions in itself is just alerting and arousing. And so I think our children having the ability to have a variety of positions is super important. And um, I've seen it happen in the schools, especially with the example I just got, like, again, it's almost like her, her wheelchair was a lazy boy <laughs> as soon as she'd get in there. And she also was a smart little one. She knew like if we were pressing her, she would close her eyes like, I'm going to go to sleep. But sometimes she would just go to sleep. So um, it just sort of forced engagement. And um, I think in general, changing positions, it can also allow for... Um, if you can use your arms better and you can engage better, that again, if you're engaging, you're, it's going to help your level of arousal for sure and yeah. help self-regulate a little bit. Yeah, and I've seen that too. I mean, certainly not with, with every student, but with a lot of students, you know, just getting them upright, it's like a, a, a different world. They're seeing things from a different perspective that they weren't seeing before or it has different effects on their body in terms of raising that alertness. We now interrupt this podcast with a word from our sponsor. The Bantam line of standards are the only standards that combine the benefits of sit-to-stand and the option of supine to create infinite positioning possibilities from 90-90 sitting, fully vertical standing, fully supine lying, and anywhere in between. No other standard can provide the amount of positioning that is possible with the Easy Stand Bantam. Using the central positioning controller is simple and the Bantam easily switches between sit-to-stand, supine, and anywhere in between. With the sit-to-stand position, users tend to adapt better to standing and weight-bearing. The supine position can feel more comfortable and users can take breaks during a standing session. 
Being able to alternate positions means a user can tolerate standing for a longer period of time, gaining more of the benefits of standing. The Bantam Medium provides these positioning options for users from 4 foot to 5 foot 6 and up to 200 pounds. The sleek white frame houses the power-up lift mechanism that allows the user to move between sit-to-stand and fully vertical with the push of a button. This option now comes standard when the Bantam Medium is ordered with Supine. The power-up option with Supine controller can provide a more individualized and independent standing experience. For more information about the Bantam Medium and to schedule your free product demonstration, go to easystand.com. Now back to the podcast. So we, we talked a lot about that the standard can provide the proximal stability, sorry, or the support to enable upper extremity use. And I think even though PTs are, the old world is OTs have the upper extremities, PTs have the lower <laughs> extremities. I'm showing my age, I know. Um, yeah, I think, it's true though. It's so true. But by providing the stability, we can see gains in the ability to actually use their head control, use their visual searching and gathering of information, as well as the ability to just be able to move. I know there was a study done years ago where they had, I think it was children with Down syndrome, and in a standard, their self-feeding times increased. Can you guys give us some examples of times that you've seen a difference in function between sitting and standing? You know, what comes to mind for me, Doug, I don't know if you remember years ago, and it wasn't about a standard. It was in a, um, we were talking about a wheelchair and Doug wanted to remove some, and, and standards provide a lot of, you know, support, but it's also a balance. Like depending on the kid, you can have more, like with wheelchairs or other equipment, you can have more support, you know, add more pieces to it to provide more support in the trunk, or you can, you can remove some of that and have less support. And I think standards are good at helping you engage your trunk and your neck. But for those kids who don't even have that strength and need a little more stability, it's still helpful even if it's external stability, putting them in more of an upright position. It does still give them another position to do things in. And I, you know, I've, I, again, have worked real close with Doug and, and we'll look at a kiddo and I'm needing writing. And he's like, I really want to remove this and that. I'm like, well, during writing, I think she needs a little more support so that she's got that stability because she's really got to use her fine motor skills. So it kind of goes back to depending on the kid and their needs. And sometimes you want to challenge them and strengthen them. And a, a standard's good for that, for trunk and head control. But sometimes it's nice to have the equipment to provide more stability so they can do some of those more intricate, you know, requiring a little bit more fine motor control because now they've got the stability they didn't have before. Athetosis comes to mind a little bit with something like that. Like sometimes they need a little more support. So so it, it all depends on the kid. Did I Tell me your question again. I feel like I've uh, gone off off the rails a little bit. Did that answer your question? And Doug, do you have thoughts? Well, go go ahead, Marianne. I, I have a couple of thoughts, but Marianne, if you want to just kind of restate the, the question. Just on being able to use standards to provide the, the external support. And, oh, yeah. and Stephanie, I know your your experience with the athetoid children. Um, I remember using 
all types of external supports when I was working because they crave stability. Yes. Because they can't. Yes. They can't get it on their own, so they can't control. But if you give them some stability, you can isolate. There's some research on motor learning and degrees of freedom and how, which is how targeted training is about, is that if you can decrease the degrees of freedom or actually the movement that happens in so many joints, you can actually increase more specific movements and get more function. What do you guys think uh, in that? Yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, guys, this kind of this kind of builds on 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 what you just stated, Marianne and, and Stephanie, what you were saying too. I, I think I think the responsibility falls on us to really look at what are we trying to accomplish. Because I think it's really j- just in general, I think it's, you know, it's really easy to just like, you know, if a child can't stand, if they have low tone or they have weakness, let's put them in a stander and, you know, and just give them all these supports. And that's great. But different kids need different things. You know, it's, some not, the, a one, it's not a one size fits all. No. Sort of like and I think really that's where the re- right. And I think that's where the responsibility comes from us at looking at this piece of equipment and utilizing it differently for different kids. So maybe for some kids. Yeah. Like Marianne, like you were saying, limiting that those degrees of freedom so that we can isolate that fine motor movement because that brings about so much more precision. And then for other kids, you know, maybe removing a lot of those restrictions or that stability brings about um, more of what we're trying to accomplish. So really looking at and 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 then even the same child, like like Stephanie, you were saying, maybe during this specific fine motor task, like we're trying to work on handwriting or we're trying to work on self-feeding or whatever it is, we're going to limit the degrees of freedom. But then when we're trying to do something else, you know, we want more degrees of freedom. So it, it, it just depends on what we're trying to accomplish. And I think really taking the time and explaining that to the teachers, because they're the ones that are with the students for more time than we are. And just explaining, like, sometimes this piece of equipment does this, and in other times we need it to do that. So kind of trying to explain what we're trying to to do at different times. And that also goes back to why you can't, you know, sometimes the new piece of equipment. Oh, standards. I want my, you know, I want to do, I want to use a stander. Let's put it in the accommodations. There's just such a, I think that's where the skilled service comes in. There's so many things to consider and look at regularly with that type of equipment. It's hard to just go, oh yeah, standards important. Let's do it. It just depends, depends on the task, depends on the kid, the setting, you know, maybe throwing a ball, they need more degrees of freedom, but again, trying to get a fork to their mouth might need le- need more stability. So I would agree. Great. Great. Well, 
I, I mean, just from communication, you know, when you're talking about increasing fine motor movement, you know, if you've got a, a student who is learning to access a, a communication device, for example, then increasing that fine motor movement can impact their ability to isolate picture icons on a communication device. And so just from a communication standpoint, that can be super helpful when they're learning how to um, manipulate those devices. That's right. That's right. I mean, we we've I, I think we've all worked with um, there's a little girl in the school that had a, a lot of dystonia and coordination issues. And, you know, we're teaching her the speech therapist was working with her on on that communication device. And if we didn't support her trunk or we didn't limit these degrees of freedom, she just couldn't. It didn't matter what you know, type of keyboard overlay we did or whatever we did, it was much more difficult for her to do. But once we provided that support, I, I, and I know we're moving away from standing here a little bit, but I think the point is trying to look at each situation individually and what do they need? How much support? What does this piece of equipment do in order to maximize whatever the, the result is from the task we're trying to work on? You both are all mentioned working with the teachers and getting them to buy into using the standard in their classroom. What is what have your experiences been with working with teachers and other support staff in the school? Sorry. Um, Doug, you want to go first? Christy, I have thoughts. <laughs> personally, yeah, I personally haven't. I don't work with, I mean, gosh, I don't even know what to say. Um, it seems like maybe Doug and Stephanie are the ones that are out there putting out the fires before I get there. But it seems like, you know, for the most part, teachers are pretty, pretty open to it, um, just from what I've seen. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, these, the, the teachers now, I think, I wouldn't say they have an impossible job, but they have such a difficult job with so many things that they have to work on. So many, you know, they have to look at the IEP goals from so many different areas. And so trying to explain to them the reason that we're using this piece of equipment, but also not overloading them, making it realistic. They have so many different tasks to work on with these kids from, you know, academic stuff, toileting stuff, self-care, speech-related stuff, fine-mode-related stuff gross motor, all of this stuff. So really trying to incorporate, you know, seeing how we can incorporate the, the the piece of equipment, the stander into their everyday type of situation or kind of multitasking. So not just putting them in a stander and then not working on anything else, but we can work on academics while they're in the stander. Or we can work on self-feeding or whatever it is so that we're not, we're not placing this you know, we're, we just don't want the teachers to look at it as an additional burden that they have to manage. Well, and I think that just having worked alongside you for so many years, I think you do an excellent job of making it real for teachers so that they have good buy-in because that's what's important. Absolutely. So I mean, if, if, if they don't, if they don't have that buy-in or they don't understand why we're doing it, I think it's going to be placed at the bottom of the priority list. I completely agree with Doug. I feel like um, we have some amazing teachers and, um, and 
this is, I think any school district, I've worked at a couple, you've got teachers who are willing, be it strategies, equipment, who are willing to do everything and are thirsting for things to do. And then you've got teachers who are less willing. It's just part of the deal. Not to their, sometimes it's like what Doug said, they're just overwhelmed. I feel very fortunate that we, we pretty much work with a good group of teachers that, and it's, there's a lot of them. I would say the general education setting is a little more difficult than our self-contained classrooms. But I do feel like, generally speaking, usually it's because they're daunted, either daunted by how to use it, like it's scary, or maybe sometimes they don't have the help they need to get a kiddo in, you know, at a certain time of the day. It can take, it can take up a lot of time. But uh, I feel like if we can support them, educate them, make them feel comfortable with it, all the things, it, we have more success with it, for sure. Yeah, it's, it you know, it's a big piece of equipment and it comes with its challenges. There's, especially if you have, you know, and this is a very real situation that we encounter all the time, you know, maybe not such a huge room. There's a lot of kids in there. There are some wheelchairs in there. There are other pieces of equipment. And here we are and we're wheeling in this larger piece of equipment and we're saying, okay, incorporate this every day. So helping them manage those challenges, you know, where are we going to store this when it's not used? Where the, can this be used? You know, so many, so many standards now are so easily adjustable. So can we use the same standard for two or three different kids? So, so just helping them to overcome those obstacles and looking at it from their standpoint of, you know, this is another thing you're asking me to do. This is another piece of equipment I have in my room. So how can we how can we make it easier for them so that it doesn't they they don't see it as an obstacle? Those all sound like good plans. I know it can be overwhelming in the schools, especially with the size of classes. And I agree with you, Stephanie, in the self-contained classrooms, it's so much easier to incorporate um, assistive technology and things that don't need to travel from room to room or you've got a fairly set group of individuals that are using the technology with the student where when you have multiple classrooms multiple settings it gets a little difficult have you been able to integrate them into a school setting that they change rooms and have different staff every hour or whatever or is that just too difficult to do yeah, I'll 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 go ahead and take this one. I, I how we answer things it kind of depends on the situation. Um, it's harder when a child is changing classrooms more often, or they're in a general ed population uh, setting. It it's it's more difficult. It is more challenging, and sometimes we have to look at again that that holistic approach. Like what is what is the best thing overall for this child because if they're there for school and it for whatever reason I mean we can come up with a bunch of different reasons but if it provides a real challenge or it's really disruptive to the day or you know it it's just it doesn't work into that child's schedule in a sort of seamless way then maybe we need to look at other alternatives like maybe we do the standing at home in the evenings and so we we always, you know, as best as we can, we try to incorporate it, even if they're in general ed and they're moving to different classrooms. But I have had situations where that child had so many different services and so many different changes that 
adding one more change or transfer. It just it was kind of more disruptive to their day than beneficial. And so we just as a team approach, including the parent, decided that we were going to move the standing to to be used at home. Well, that makes sense. We've talked about standing and standers as being a modality or part of enabling a child to reach their goals and or their family goals, but hopefully it's the child's goals. Do you all feel that it needs to be part of the IEP? That's that's a good question, but not unfortunately not a simple answer. It's kind of the same answer I keep getting. It depends. It depends on... There's, if there's equipment that's useful, you know, I always try to think if this kid goes to another teacher, another school, what do they need? What do those people need to know and be able to do? And so I would say, yes, something like a standard most definitely needs to be in there somewhere. Where it goes is the question. There, I don't think there always needs to be a goal for it. I think sometimes it needs to be part of the goals. Again, for me, the goals have to be functional. And sometimes in those goals, it says with the use of alternative equipment, the student will blah, 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 blah. And it may not say specifically all the alternatives, but sometimes they say adaptive scissors, pencil grip, you know, with the use of this, with the use of that. But you also don't want a pigeonhole because maybe that kid can do some things um, out of the standard. Or maybe we want to try it out of the standard sometimes. So we don't want to be locked into they weren't in the standard, they were supposed to be in the standard when they were doing this task. So there might be times we wanna try that task from the wheelchair or from somewhere else. So it can get, you know, it's a legal document as we all know. And so we wanna make sure it's um, precise enough that people understand, but there also sometimes needs to be flexibility because we may wanna try different things, but sometimes it needs to just go in the assistive technology section, at least in Texas, there's a section of like, what assistive technology are they using? Sometimes it needs to go in the accommodations as needed. I don't know if that would be so much with the standard, Doug, you would have more thoughts on that. And, and, and if this is something like I have found, let's say a kid is completely independent with feeding and swallows best when they're in, you know, is it safe, safer when they're in a standing position to feed themselves, then by all means, we want to put it somewhere that they need to be in it when they're feeding themselves at lunch, right? If it's very specific like that, they can only be independent if they're in their standard. But maybe maybe you want them in the standard because they're going to be doing board work and they can access the board work better if they are in their standard. But maybe they don't do board work every day either. So there's just lots of things to consider with that. And it's not always easy to sort of come up with where to put it in the IEP and how to put it in there. A standard, I would definitely say, as we've talked about, is more of a skilled service. Um, I don't imagine they would would get us. I don't know, Doug, would they get a standard and not be on PT? I, I mean, it, I, I would say that that doesn't happen often, but it 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 certainly can. You know, if if there's a goal around that, I mean, if they don't if they're not getting PT service, but there's still a goal around that, then then I think that's that reasonably could happen. But that's just I think that's pretty rare. But I I yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I, I think it it needs to be in the IEP document somewhere. I don't know that it necessarily 
needs to be in a goal because it, it like you were saying, Steph, I think we need to, it, it, it's a balance. We need to leave some room for flexibility. So I, I think sometimes parents are are concerned, and, and, and this is a valid concern, that if it's not in the goal, that it's not going to be utilized. So I think having it in the document somewhere as um, whether it's an accommodation or it's a piece of assistive technology, having it in there, but not being so pigeonholed into a, a specific time, like 30 minutes a day, um, you know, they'll do the standard because if there, if there are other things that we're working on, or there's a, a child is having a, a, a terrible day or they're experiencing pain, we don't want to be out of compliance with, with, you know, their goals and their, and that document. So, it needs to be in there somewhere that it that this is something that we are going to use, but I just would be hesitant about, you know, it has to be a specific amount of time every day. So I agree with with what you're both saying. I think, you know, maybe it doesn't necessarily have to be listed, like you said, a specific amount of time, but it could be an accommodation. But I also think you can incorporate it into the specific IEP goals that you're using. For example, if you have an older student um, who maybe, you know, might be in high school or, or an older elementary student who's learning to, who might be verbal, who's learning to speak in front of people, you know, just from a physiological standpoint, you have better breath support, you know, for the most part, if you're standing. And so being able to incorporate standing position while you're working on a speech and language goal, um, then, you know, I think you can incorporate them, those two together, not necessarily like Doug said, having the standard for a certain amount of minutes per day or per week, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I certainly think it it absolutely can be part of of a goal, no doubt. Uh, but but if it's not, if there's not a specific goal that it's an IEP goal that it's attached to, then I think it it needs to be in there somewhere so that we're just making sure that it doesn't get lost. Well, I definitely agree with that. It goes back to what Stephanie was was saying. You know, if the student ever moved and somebody had to pick up that IEP who didn't know that student yet, um, then they need to know, like you said, that they they need that piece of equipment. And Doug, to my knowledge, you don't usually put goals. Student will stand and stander. There's never a direct just standing goal, right? It's almost always. I mean, years and years ago, yes, before we tried to make our goals more more functionally related. But yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's pretty rare, if never, that it's just we'll be in a stander for X amount of time every day. It's it's there's some sort of functional activity along with that or it's tagged on to, you know, a feeding goal or breast support goal or 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 something that's functional. We now interrupt this podcast with a word from our sponsor. The importance of standing as early as possible is not a new idea and has been part of some clinicians' evidence-based therapy plans for years. A more recent trend, implementation of large-scale hip surveillance programs, have further reinforced the importance of standing and standing in abduction as a therapy intervention. Standing early and often may improve acetabular and muscle skeletal development especially for those at high risk of hip integrity issues. 
Zing standards have been at the forefront of providing the most functional and easy-to-use solutions for early standing and anatomically correct standing in abduction. We pride ourselves in taking feedback from parents and therapists who have used our current Zing products and are introducing a true game changer in the 0 to 3 age range. With the new Zing Portable, a standing session can be made possible anywhere, anytime. With three foldable legs, a carrying handle, and a weight under 20 pounds, moving the stander from one room to another becomes a breeze. For more information about the Zing Portable and to learn more about all of the Zing products, visit zingstanders.com. Now back to the podcast. As far as like IEPs go, what you're what I'm hearing you guys say, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that if the student has a goal of either communication or reaching and the standard can provide the support that enables them to do it or improves their performance, then you would write it inside the goal. Like the standing frame will provide Susie with the external support she requires to increase speed of self-feeding, increase volumes. Is that what you guys are talking about? I, I think we start with, you know, with the activity and the position, like in a standing position, um, yeah. Susie will right. accomplish X, Y, and Z. And then I think we can even, you know, tag the terminology onto the end of that and say, utilizing a piece of adaptive equipment in order to maintain this position, or even say, utilizing a stander to maintain that standing position in order to achieve that task. Yeah, I feel like we would keep it more general through, through the use of adaptive equipment, if needed. Uh, Susie will participate in speeches at the front of the class or bar board work. It would probably we I tend to keep it a little more general um, because maybe they don't need it all the time to do that. Or maybe they do. It's kind of what I was saying before. If we realize this is the only way they can do it, then maybe it is more specific. But it, we tend to just keep it more general through adaptive equipment. I agree, but we also, by keeping it like that, then we're able to make it more measurable. I mean, some things you're, it's really hard to make measurable, increased volume. I mean, without specific medical equipment, you know, increased volume is hard to measure. So what does that look like? So, so like they said, you know, Susie will participate in, in, in a speech or, you know, those sorts of things is much more measurable than increased breast support, increased phonation, that sort of thing. Those all sound like great ideas of how to incorporate it into an IEP goal. Although, as we've said, it's not necessary to have it specifically incorporated as a goal for the standard use. It's actually the assistive technology that can enable them to reach their goals. Am I correct? Correct. I, I mean, I think so. I agree. Christy, I would I would venture to say it'd be similar to a communication device. It's not the use of the communication device; it's that they'll make the speech, um, or exactly. the same thing. It's that they they were able to participate in their speech at school, versus and no, no matter how they did that, be it doing it in a standard to help with volume through a communication device, you know whatever the equipment is, the goal is, is that they're doing what they need to do in school. Absolutely. I agree 100% with that. You're, you know, ultimately we're looking at what are the outcomes for the student? What are the specific um, goals that the, the teacher, the student, the parents have? So, yes, I agree with that. 
Yeah, and I think it's no different than than for us, right? Like I don't I don't sit down and say, I'm uh, my goal right now is to use a computer. Uh, I say my goal right now is to check my emails and answer that and communicate and get back to this person. And the computer is the is is the tool that I'm using to accomplish that. And I could most definitely use the um, feeding goal. There's a if they're in a standard for feeding, there's probably a lot of other things they're using for feeding too, a non-skid plate, a adaptive spoon, but really the goal is that they're feeding themselves independently and safely. And so there might be, I might, the goal might just say through the use of adaptive equipment, the student will be independent or require 10% help to feed themselves at lunch. And that could include five or six things. Um, and we may fade some of those things too. So again, you, you never want to be too specific because then, you know, then they're required to do all those things and we don't always need all those things. I think we're getting close to time. I, so I, I don't, we didn't touch on the social aspect. Oh, I think, go I for think it. socially it can be very important, um, especially during times when everyone's standing and maybe moving about the room or if there's, you know, a moment when um, it's the same thing, like if everyone's on the floor when they're really young, we want to find a way to get them out of their chair and down there with their peers, right? So I would say the same is with the standing. I would say PE is a fantastic time because everyone's up typically. They're not, you know, and so they can see eye to eye with their peers and some of them, um, you know, have, haven't had that opportunity. So I would say there's a social component and in, in, um, great thing about um, standards too. Yeah, Steph, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I, I think that whole eye to eye with the peer thing is, is just really under addressed or under recognized. Um, I think it's just such a huge thing. I mean, I, I can feel it when I'm if I'm sitting down and somebody is standing over me like it there's there's a, a definite feel to that there's a definite you know kind of discrepancy and so I think having you know whenever we can having the 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 students there having their peers eye to eye I think is a fantastic thing the whole thing on body language that if you want to be in a position of power you want to be the one standing and I think sometimes people in wheelchairs and who are always seated, actually, there was a study I read that said they feel marginalized already in the in the society. I also like what you're all saying about that standing can bring another dimension to inclusion for these students and integrating them in with their peers and their activities. I think a lot of people forget how important it is to be eye to eye and not being looking up at people or being looked down upon. You said that more eloquently than I could could regurgitate. You did fine. Well, I also think as as um, you know, from an early childhood standpoint, you know, we do a lot of circle times, and you know, being able to reach what the teacher is, you know, picking the song, picking the, you know, whatever it is that they have, you know, lots of kids are going up to the teacher and doing that at an eye level kind of thing, and so that just kind of goes back to what you're saying, even from a very early early education standpoint. And with early education and early motor development, we all learn through experiences. And if we don't have the experience, it leaves part of the learning process out and I think stunts some of the development. That's right. I, I, I couldn't agree with that more. 
And I would just posit to say, you know, not just for our our children who are requiring the accommodations, but also for our, their general education peers. You know, when you when you're doing that at a very early age, then that's just uh, so beneficial for those kids as well. It's all about exposure. Yeah, I I think I mean this is this is a fantastic discussion, and I think it highlights the fact that with so much of what we do, there's not. A one size fits all. There's not in every case we do, you know, we always do standing or we never do standing or it always has this benefit or it never has this benefit. It's just you you really have to look at the whole situation. What are what are we trying to accomplish? What's important for that student, for that teacher, for that family? And how can we best go about doing that? And where does standing fit into that? And does it fit into that? You summarized it quite well, Doug. I think what we've been talking about mostly today is how important it is to start with the goals. Don't start with the device. Don't start with the disability. Start with the goals. What are the functional goals that we want to incorporate and to accomplish within the school setting? And then we look at how we're going to do that. Bravo. I this is my this is how I guide my whole practice. I go to the teachers and the parents. The te- I will say I go to the teachers first. We want parents on board for sure, but the teachers have a good grasp of what these kiddos are needing to do. And then also we want to include what our students want and want to achieve and what they sometimes it's like I just want to be in PE, you know, whatever that or I want to participate. I want to swing with the rest. I want access to the the darn um uh, playground. And so that should always guide us what what it is our kids need to accomplish. And then that's where the therapies come in and go, okay, we're going to do our best to bridge that gap and and make sure you participate the best you can. That is my guiding practice for sure. I just couldn't agree more with with what you've both said, Marianne. I think you summed it up very well. And and Stephanie, I think you know you and I have have approached that together a lot, you know, what is what is it that we need to do and, and how to make the student the most successful? Yes, I talk about working with Doug a lot, but Christy and I have done the same thing where we come together and like, what's what's the best thing we can do? How do we do this? Well, I think we've had a lot of interactive discussion and discussion that will enable us to start thinking a little bit more, or for those of us who aren't using standing, to think about how we approach it in the school systems. The major thing that's come out of this discussion, I think, is that you don't start with the equipment. You don't start with the device. We start with the goals and we find out how things can be accomplished and what assistive technology that they need to enable them to accomplish these functional goals. In some cases, as we've talked about throughout this whole discussion, everything is uniquely individualized to the student. I think that's where they came up with the individualized education plan. And sometimes standing can help, and sometimes it may not be appropriate, but it all depends on the goals of the student. It can help with providing the support people need to have better function as far as upper extremities. We've heard that it can help with your ability to talk and your respiratory support. It can also help with upper extremity movement and head control but it also provides experiences for the child to be in the upright position, to be eye to eye with their peers, and have better social integration and social abilities with their with their peers while they're in school. I think we also heard that in some cases, it can increase the arousal or the ability to the student to participate 
We all know that if we stay in one position for too long, that we get drowsy, we settle into it, and we lose our ability to interact because I think we become bored or tired. And in those cases, standing can help. I truly want to thank my co-host, Doug Levine, our guests, Christine Linklater and Stephanie Springfield for their participation today in taking the time out of their day to join me in this discussion about standing in schools. I would like to ask everyone if they have anything else to add before we sign off. Nothing to add other than thank you for having me. Um, I always enjoy talking about what I do and helping um, these kiddos. I agree. Thank you so much for the opportunity. This has been um, a very engaging discussion. I very much enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you all. This was this was fantastic. I, I think this is, you know, this is also how we learn too. You know, even if it's something that we use often, um, engaging in these discussions, I always, oh, that's something I hadn't thought about or that's something. So it's, I think it's beneficial for all of us. Couldn't agree more, Doug. I agree. Education and just open discussion stimulates your mind to think out of the box or to think away from the routine you've been in. And I hope our podcast series does that for everyone. So I want to thank you all again. And for our listeners, please keep an eye out for upcoming podcasts. We also have on-demand webinars on our website at www.ultimatemedical.com. And feel free to email me with any suggestions you may have for future topics. Thank you, Doug, for co-hosting today. And please join us for our next installment of Positioning 365 Beyond Seating. Today's podcast was brought to you by Ultimate Medical, the home of Easy Stand, Activate, and Medical Positioning.